Hi, heroes. This is Bert, and here's today's interview of a bright young millennial who speaks on the chaos of a changing world. In this interview of my young millennial nephew, us being separated in age by 60 years, I explore the differences of his idea of the world in chaos, and me where I was raised in the, as best I can describe it, the peaceful do-anything-you-want generation. In this interview, we cover the full range of today's issues to see what the similarities and differences are between two men. One a representative of the me generation, and me an old dude, a glorious descendant of the pre-baby boomer era. We dive into those differences in the hopes that we discover what makes us similar, as well as what makes us different, and in the process, what brings us closer together. As I have come to know my nephew, I see how differently we were raised. I see his intellectual and scholarly achievements as a significant indicator of the difference of how we were raised. It's not so much a difference in inherent intelligence, but it seems to be how our parents saw us, in his case, as the center of their attention versus me, being raised as kind of a family remnant, loved and raised the best that my parents were capable of, but not necessarily the apple of their eye. But I digress. I'll let Luke answer the questions and tell his story to a world that has become progressively darker and how he's illuminating it with the brilliance and enthusiasm of young, hopeful millennial. Hey, Everyday Heroes, I'm Bert Botta. Do you know what every man wants? If you can't come up immediately with the answer to that question, then pay close attention to my Everyday Heroes podcast series for golfs. That means guys over 50. And if you're not a guy over 50, or even if you're a gal, don't worry. There's going to be some very cool stuff here for both men and women. I've discovered answers to the kind of questions that every man has. And now I'm ready to help you put those answers to work in your life through these podcasts. If you take in what I have to share, it very well could change your life and help you do more than just push back the aging process. And my podcasts are mostly about aviation everyday heroes, but they're going to be a mix of women and men heroes just like you. So let's jump into this and see if what we talk about here helps bring out your own everyday hero. So this is this is exciting. This is fun, man. Yeah. Yeah, um, I, I need as much advice as I can get. It's like the first time I'm moving away from all my family across the country. You know? Yeah, well, I don't um, know about any kind of advice, but uh, I'm going to pick your brain. And absolutely, the reason I did this, first of all, I love you, man. And secondly, it might be a way to finally get to know my favorite nephew, you know? <laughs> your only <laughs> so, nephew. Exactly. So well, let's do it. Um, obviously, you don't consider yourself an everyday hero. But do you consider yourself a millennial? I'd say I'm right on the line between millennial and Gen Z. So Gen, Gen Z is the last one, huh? Yeah, I, I think the cutoff year was 96 when I was born. Well, talk a little bit about what it's like being a, being a millennial on the borderline. <laughs> Pretty broad question. <laughs> it is definitely way too broad. Yeah. Uh, tell me some of the challenges you've experienced and what you've, ex- what you've seen with some of your buddies, some of your pals, some of your running mates as far as the challenges prior to pandemic as well as going through it now and how you and they are dealing dealing with it i think one of the the main challenges that we face we being people near my age is the overuse of technology and devices and screens um that's something that everybody will classify with gen z you know a gen z or as somebody who uses five or more screens a day i I think it's actually at a time i mean you think phone laptop apple watch you got ipad whatever it is whatever it may be I think that's a really big problem with 
um, people my age. And I think that we could always, you know, use them a little bit less and kind of keep your eyes up and enjoy the world a little bit more. At the same time, I think it improves communication amongst us and allows every, everybody to get their thoughts out. But sometimes those thoughts can be, you know, not sit well with everybody and cause problems too. So I don't know, there's just a lot of information out there and a lot of false information and, and a lot of good ways to spread it. So I feel that, you know, getting the wrong information too often is, is a huge problem as well. Um, and that comes with being on your phone a lot or being on the computer a lot. So, yeah. And, it, you know, it also like, say, we're texting and email, stuff like that. There's so much misinterpretation of the message if you're not face to face or at least, con- you know, conversing with somebody. And that seems to be uh, there's an addiction factor there that is is tough to get away from as well. Absolutely. I think people like to argue and, uh, you know, there are plenty of platforms, plenty of platforms out there to argue on. So, uh, and then how are you supposed to understand somebody's tone and, you know, how they're feeling about what they're saying when you're just reading a blanket message on Facebook? It uh, doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Yeah. My whole philosophy, and I'm sure part of yours is before I, you know, hit the, the send button on an email or something, if I'm pissed off or something, you know, I just wait, I wait a couple hours or at least until the next day, maybe, you know, before yeah. I send it to see what it looks like, you know, rather than making a stupid mistake and stepping in it, you know? So, yeah. So at least proofread. <laughs> at least exactly. Proofread. Exactly. Like, wow, that sounds a little angry. Yeah. So, and then how about college? And what your courses were, and how did that prep you for what you're doing now or not? Well, I will say, um, kind of going back to the the pandemic aspect, that a lot of my online stuff with college really prepared me for working today and working through this pandemic because I've been taking online classes for four years, and now I can finally channel that uh, ability to focus, I guess, that I gained dur- during just online lectures and watching videos and having to read stuff on my own. Uh, I've been able to channel that into working through the pandemic and it was, you know, it was a tough transition for everybody, but I feel that people who have been in college and been taking these classes recently have kind of had a leg up. I didn't realize you had that many online classes. Was that in addition to your, uh, your actual attending classes? Yeah. Yeah. It, it's all really up to the student at this point. Uh, you know, in today's day and age, you can get most of the classes online that you could in person. I personally prefer the in-person classes to, something about the experience that you can't replicate online. But I did like the ability to, to work from home, essentially, before it was cool, and uh, you know, roll over in bed and log into class rather than have to you know, get up, get, get dressed, shave, all that stuff. Right, so, right. Yeah. There's a lot of talk, uh, you know, especially amongst uh, the Christian community that I'm part of, as to the liberal philosophy that's taught in so many colleges and universities these days. And I don't know, since you're in the midst of that, uh, did you notice any of that? Could you take yourself out of the loop and look at it from a, from a, a, a different perspective as to what, how that impacted you or did it? Does that make any sense? Uh, a little bit. Yeah. I'll see if I can answer the question here. Um, I, I mean, I think that, a lot of people that are in college, college age people are, are very, you know, they can be easily influenced. And can you repeat the question? Yeah. Uh, there's a certain, how should I say it, a certain belief or perspective that 
so many of the kids in college these days are being unduly influenced by very liberal left-leaning professors that are, for lack of a better description, brainwashing kids towards the left and eliminating, in some cases, many of their more conservative beliefs that they might have been raised at home with. Does that mm-hmm. make a, a better sense? Yeah, I will. Um, I'll say that that definitely you, you see it a lot, uh, and I mean, I think it's because a lot of people in college are struggling with, um, you know, financial issues or uh, you know, personality issues. They're having a hard time being away from their family, and a lot of what the left teaches is you know, help, help each other out, you know, you'll get assistance from the government for what you need. And so that appeals to a lot of people in, in a situation of need. And I think that's a big reason why it's, it's so big in colleges, because that's one of the few places where it's pretty cool to be poor and, uh, you know, yeah. not have a lot of resources at your disposal. So that's how people can kind of get into that as they say, oh, you know, the government should help me out here in this situation. What's your take on that? What's your, uh, do you lean towards socialism? I am kind of in between. I'm a registered independent, so I don't uh, I don't tend to side with a party. I usually just tend to side with what I think is right at the time. And um, I think a lot of the social issues going on right now, I think the left has it right or has it correct. But, um, you know, there's obviously a lot of fiscal issues that I, I may not agree with. What do you think when you see what's going on in some of the cities, the uh the chaos and the and mm-hmm. the you know the demonstrations and the violence and stuff like that. Many cases it's how should I say it? It's charged by young people who really don't to seem to know what they're fighting for. And if they are, they seem to be fighting for everything that's wrong. What's your take on that? Well, I think that the protests are essential and they need to happen if we need to enact change in this country. And I think that the way that they're gone about can be different, uh, especially the ones that are violent. Um, I myself have attended a few that were nonviolent, um, and I felt like we were actually making a change. You know, we, we had people listening to us. We were speaking with the chief of police of, of the city of Phoenix. And that I can get behind because that's what protesting is, and that's how anything has ever gotten done in this country. When it, when it turns violent, uh, you can say that it's, you know, this side caused it or that side caused it. But at the end of the day, it's, it's bad for both sides when it gets violent. So, you know, whoever is causing that isn't you know, at the forefront of the issue, the issue is is bigger than that. But I will say the violence is a little bit disturbing. Um, However, I do, like I said earlier, I do think the protests are essential. Yeah. So to take it another step, to go a little bit deeper into what do you think needs to be changed? That's a big question. (laughs) (laughs) Let's take Uh, a one, one, one item at a time. Defunding the police. I mean, that seems to me the most stupid idea I've ever heard in my life. And it's going to have major repercussions on the people who are advocating for it. Well, I think that the, the marketing is, is a little intense, a little harsh. You know, defund the police can make people feel a certain way right away. And that's why they market it like that. It, it's to, you know, incite a feeling in somebody. But the real goal behind it is not to just do away with the police. It's to transition from a society where we live under, under the police um, acting how they act now and kind of transition transitioning to that into more of a controlled role where similar to countries in Europe, where police have to go through a lot more uh, training, specific training for specific topics. And so instead of having one police officer handle a domestic violence case, investigate a murder, uh, you know, go out on a drug bust all in one day, you'd have a specific specialist who would deal with domestic violence issues, somebody who could deal with child protective services. The whole goal is to transition into a society that doesn't need as much police as we have right now. 
Um, so it's not a complete disbandment of it, but it's built, breaking it down to build it back up in a better way. Gotcha. Because yeah. I, uh, I was interviewing a guy, a buddy of mine in one of my Christian men's groups, and he ha- he's a car salesman. And he's a very successful car salesman. And he was he had a detective come in one day and wanted to buy a car. So they got to talking. And the kid that I'm talking about is half black and half white. Mm-hmm. And so the detective was really looking down at him. And finally, as Vern started to talk to him, he realized that Vern was a very sharp guy. And they finally got around to f- talking about what the detective thought was wrong with the police these days. And what he came up with was... So many kids are being raised now without a gray, without a deeper sense of uh, of rights and and um, how should I say it, a foundation of of basic human principles, and they don't know a lot about uh, human interaction. So one of their first responses is to reach for a gun, you know, as opposed to the old cops like where I grew up in the mm-hmm. city. Where there were the old Irish cops, you know, they caught us drinking beer or racing cars. They'd pull us over and say, listen, son, uh, get that beer out of the car. Just go home and take it easy and don't want to see you here again. That kind of common sense approach to things was what this detective was talking about. What's your take on that? I, I like that a lot. I think that's a lot of what you see in Europe with the police. Um, and I think the, the bigger issue is that we have a ton of guns here in the United States. And, and I like guns. But it just makes everybody's life a little bit harder uh, in that job, you know, knowing that somebody else could have a gun. Whereas in in the UK, um, for the most part, you're not fearing that the person you're pulling over has a weapon on them. If if anything, it could be a knife, not something that can kill you with one pull of the trigger. So I think that there's a deeper issue there that they have to be a little bit more scared because people are wielding these weapons. And so inherently, there's going to be a little bit more tension. But at the end of the day, I do agree that it should be a little bit more like it was back in your day in the city. There was something else I was going to ask you about that. Uh, I, I can't imagine that the cops in uh, the Bobbies in in UK are still not carrying guns. It's just amazing. Yeah. yeah they're still not, are they? I, I don't believe so. I, I think people are genuinely afraid when they see a gun in the UK just because it's so rare to them. I mean, yeah. I can't imagine, you know, pro- pulling a car over and not knowing who's in the car and what they're doing and just having a nightstick with you. you know? <laughs> <laughs> right. It's kind of scary. Well, I will tell you that I think that that's what the whole defund the police movement is trying to move towards, where, you know, police don't have to have that fear when they approach a car. It's more of a community type feel, not not person against person. It's person with person. Uh, anything? Uh, can you speak to some of the other issues that are going on in the world right now? Yeah. Uh, any specific ones you'd like me to touch on? Just more about equality of pay and uh, women versus men or some kind of pay scale stru- uh, structure that is in- inequitable. How do you see that? I mean, I will say that equal pay is, is what it needs to be. There should be no discrimination there. Um, just being a man and woman. Anything else that comes to mind? I think we could talk a little bit about the, you know, the pandemic and everything that's going on. Please do. Yeah. What's the stress? It. What's the stressors there? What do you see going on around you? What do you feel as far as stress, a sense of when's this thing going to end? I hope it's going to end. So a lot of people are hopeless. Mm-hmm. They don't see an end to it, et cetera. Those kind of things. I think the the one thing that I'm seeing all over the place, and it's the most 
you know, concerning factor is that our country has sort of turned it into an argument over rights and, you know, liberty rather than just a, a necessity, you know, to take care of yourself and take care of your neighbor at this point in time. Um, and I think that, you know, I, when I go out, I wear a mask to save other people from me, not to save me from them. And that's the mindset that a lot of people, a lot more people should have um, rather than you can't tell me to do this because blank. Uh, as you can see, it's worked well in other countries. People are, you know, obeying the, you know, the rules. And when I say it like that, it sounds a little bad. You know, they're obeying the rules. They're yeah. listening to the higher power. But at the same time, it's just a necessity. And people just need to take care of their neighbor at this point in time. And not enough people here are doing it. They're seeing it as an invasion of privacy. So people could be a little bit more conscious about other other people's lives and health. But that's, I guess that's just how we are as a nation. We're pretty defiant and we, you know, mm-hmm. we like to stand up for our rights. So mm-hmm. you're seeing that all over the place. What do you think about tearing down the statues? Taking, taking, wiping out all this history that we have uh, so long lived under and adored. I think that it, it depends which statue you're talking about, because there are some figures out there that are being idolized that have no business being held in such high regard. Um, for example, I'll, I'll go with Robert E. Lee. Um, he's a hero in the South, and that was because he led the Confederacy for five years. That's how long that lasted. I don't see that as a huge part of our history. In fact, I see that as a, a small skid mark on the underpants of our history. But so I totally understand tearing down statues and, and any memorabilia for, for leaders um, that were involved with the Confederacy and any sort of related organizations like the Ku Klux Klan, for example. When it comes to former presidents, who were, you know, doing, just living at the time, you know, living how the times were. They weren't necessarily doing anything more wrong or more right than anybody else at the time. That's a little bit more debatable, especially because, like you say, that is the, the grandest history of this nation is, you know, everything that, mm-hmm. that the great men of those times did. Don't you think that all of that kind of lends itself to creating a larger mosaic for, uh for the history of our country rather than picking out one or two of the guys who didn't quite play by the rules? I, I think it, I, I think it does, you know, it is expanded a little bit. And the reason why people want to take down a lot of these statues and take down a lot of the fabric of what America has been built on is so that they can rebuild it in a better way. So it's not just for the hope of, uh, you know, getting rid of, of white, person, you know, statues of white people that built America on the backs of slavery. It's more about tearing down the whole system and and trying to build a new one that's better for the country as a whole. And so if people believe that, they're going to continue to do what they've been doing um, to achieve that goal. Uh, I I subscribe to something going on behind the scenes that is controlled by a larger group of elites in our world. Uh, I call it conspiracy. It could, could be called a conspiracy theory, etc. And it seems to be coming to fruition right about uh, at this time in our in our in our culture. What's your take on that? I completely agree. In fact, I've had similar conspiracy theories, um, especially with a lot of the information that's come to light in the past six months. A lot about Trump, about uh, a man named Jeffrey Epstein. I'm sure you've heard um, just things that we don't hear about as common folk that seem to be pretty well known from people at the top and and things that have just been hidden from us. And I think another thing too, is if you look at the last, I think it's like five or six election years, 
there's been some sort of deadly flu or, or pandemic-like disease that's come out. We're looking like swine flu, SARS, uh, I think it was avian flu. If you look back through the history, it's, it's ridiculous. And I had a similar theory, uh, the coronavirus, when this first started, that, you know, maybe it was put out there during an election year to cause some sort of advantage for one of the sides. I could, couldn't tell you who, but uh, both uh-huh. of them have kind of botched it at this point. But uh, I completely agree that I think that someone's back there pulling the strings that we just don't know about. Yeah. I mean, and then you take a guy like George Soros, supposedly who's funding a lot of the uh, violent uh, protests and paying the crowds to uh, get out there and throw really? rocks and stuff like, oh, yeah. you take. A I look did not at, know that. You take a look at Soros's background. It's pretty, pretty checkerboard. Mm-hmm. So, and then on a, on a bigger scale, the conspiracy theory seems to be from the mostly financial elites that go back, you know, in some t- cases, generations that have tried to, uh, that have been moving towards a complete takeover of society and uh, having control over most of the people, taking whatever little control most of the people have over their lives and making sure that they manipulate it. Mm-hmm. Uh, for, in some cases, like you take a look at the vaccine now, you know, Bill Gates has been doing a lot of research on vaccine. And uh, from a Christian perspective, a lot of Christians see mandatory vaccines as the beginning of the mark of the beast. Have you ever heard of the mark of the beast? I have not. Check it out. It's a, okay. when you take a look at uh, the Bible in the, in the Bible itself, there is something that talks about the mark of the beast or um, a individual who's coming into as, as a very evil character, who's going to take over society and make sure everybody gets a mark on their forehead or a chip in their hand or a chip in their forehead where they can't buy or sell anything. And that is one way of going to be able to control the entire culture. A lot of people think that this pandemic thing, the vaccine coming out, and I can I can really see the possibility of people not being able to travel outside of the country or into other countries unless you have the vaccine. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how that's going to play out. I hope it doesn't because uh, I'll be locked in time because I'm, I'm not going to take the vaccine. I don't trust vaccines nor do I trust the possibility of injecting something into me that may alter my, uh, my constitution. So yeah, check it out. Check it out. The rapture, yeah, check absolutely. out, check out the rapture and check out, uh, the mark of the beast. I think you'll find it very interesting, bud. I, I, I will check it out. I don't like the idea of, you know, being forced, having something forced on me only when it makes too much sense, you know? So yeah, hopefully we have a little clarity into what it is and, you know, what we might be injecting ourselves with if you know when that time comes yeah but it is a scary thought to think that everybody in the world has to get it you know what could be in it or, or what i mean you they... think about mind control you think about some of the stuff that was done in nazi germany where they tried to purify the race and you know create an aryan race i mean you could do that if you know what you were doing with the vaccine you could do that fairly easily if you inject stuff into people's bodies, into their bloodstreams, and have it affect their thinking and everything else, their emotions, everything. You know, it's kind of weird. So Right. If, if it has the right collection of hormones, or wrong collection, I guess, in that instance, really change somebody's psyche. So, on a lighter note, yeah. uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's good to see you, buddy. Yeah. You too. Yeah. And uh, to, to get to know you a little bit more in this way. Yeah. I love it. I, I mean, it's, it's fun to yeah. talk. It's, it's great to talk to you. It's been a while. Um, yeah. Well, we never talked ever, like this before. I know, <laughs> right? Well, I, I never had these thoughts before. I was <laughs> just yeah. a kid for most of it. But uh, 
I'm, I'm always willing to hop on the show if you need a millennial or Gen Z perspective oh, from anybody. Fantastic. I'd love to. Thanks, bud. Tell Aunt Janet I love her, and it's, it's great to see you. I will do that. If you see your sis, uh, tell her I said hi, and I love her. Okay. I will. Okay. I will. Love you. All right. Love you, Uncle Bert. Take care, bud.